0: one question to start off the bottom line show today for this day after labor day and that is this is it hot enough for you welcome to the bottom line show i'm roger marsh it's so good to have you along for the ride hope you're staying cool wherever you might be it seems like every we've got 31 plus markets here in the uh, bottom line show uh, uh listing audience and i just looking over the uh, broadcast calendar and realizing that everybody's facing extreme heat right now um so you know and, and it's I get it. And I know it's frustrating um, for some, um, not so much for yours truly. And you're like, well, that's because your air conditioning still working. No, that's <laughs> hear me when I say this. Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with perspective. The heat is wreaking havoc everywhere. My goodness, our uh, bottom line show listeners in Hemet, you know, dealing with the Fairview fire right now. Uh, yesterday, it had burned, you know, 2,400 acres and a couple of deaths and just the ca- containment. Uh, very slow to come by. That's just one of many areas that's, uh, that's dealing with this kind of heat. But I want to start off with a kind of a little mini homily, if you will, with regard to how hot is it? I could still hear Johnny Carson way back in the day was so hot in Burbank earlier today. How hot was it? And Then he'd make some funny joke and we would all chuckle. And that's the way it was. But I, maybe it's my age maybe it's the fact that i've spent my entire life in southern california so i know what the lay of the land is but I'll, I'll okay i'll start right because a lot of people especially those who live on the coast especially who are used to say bay area temperatures like our northern california crowd at kcbc you know i grew up watching dodger baseball when they played the san francisco giants at candlestick park and everybody was wearing turtlenecks in august you know i mean i <laughs> it gets so cold by the bay um I just, I'm going to state the obvious. I I know that there's a lot of beautiful shoreline in California, a lot of beautiful mountain areas to escape into Colorado, but brothers and sisters, especially on the West coast, you live in a desert. Okay. Just a friendly reminder. You live in a desert and deserts get hot. Now there's a shoreline very close to the desert, but you live in a desert and you don't hear people in the desert complaining now. Obviously, if your power's out, that's a whole different conversation. It's easy to say, "Yeah, I could handle 110 degree weather when it's 78 inside because the air conditioning's working." I, I, I completely understand that. But again, I, I, I want to submit to us as Bottom Line Show listeners that we, in the same way, oftentimes we find ourselves just flabbergasted and dumbfounded at the level of sin and. and uh, and despair that we see in the culture we are living as strangers and aliens in a world that we are not built for we were built for the garden of eden we were built for heaven and we are living in a sinful fallen world so when people do sinful fallen like things there are parts of us who go oh man this is i don't like this but then we have to remember well we were built for something better i mean as humans we were built for the garden and we were built to run around naked, none of shame and live perfectly with God. So extreme heat, extreme temperature. We're not really made for that, but I want to encourage you. This is a golden opportunity for you as a Christian, as a Christ follower to share your faith with somebody else by not complaining too much about the heat. Okay. Fair enough. All right. If it'll make it any easier to deal with, um, Dr. Gary Chapman is going to join me uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour to talk about a brand new project of his that is not necessarily the five love languages that we have come to know and love from Dr. Gary Chapman, though he was um, kind of enshrined in the New York Times last week. Uh, Five love languages just hit its 30th anniversary. And as Gary loves telling me, we've been having these conversations for pretty much the run of the Bottom Line Show. He loves to say, and I'm sure he'll say it again today. Roger, the, the, the five love languages sold better last year than it did the year before, and it sold better this year than it did last year. Every year, that fun little book on Northfield Publishing that was basically him saying, look, in all my years of counseling couples, this is what I've experienced with regard to why couples have problems in relationship, and that is they don't speak the same love language. It's not a Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic treatise on the definitions of love. It's these are five ways that people typically show love, and these are five ways that people typically receive love. And it's helped thousands of couples have much better quality relationships. Gary has a new book out on relationships involving cross-cultural connections. In this case, his brand new book on reconciliation, co-authored with his good friend Clarence Schuler, uh, Gary, of course, being a Southern... Anglo dude and Clarence being an African-American guy, they've been friends for over 50 years, and they're writing about their friendship. Talk about cooling off some of the heat that we're experiencing in the culture right now. Uh, You will not want to miss this conversation coming up at the bottom of the hour. That would be 4.30 for our Colorado listeners and 3.30 p.m. for our Southern California listeners today here on the Bottom Line Show. Interesting uh, report. Speaking of today's Super Tuesday, of course, we got a couple of election-based Uh, things to talk about. Uh, A local city council is uh, kind of shaking their head right now because this close to election time, uh, three members of said city council are going to have to give up their seats. Now, I don't know if you caught this story in the Orange County Register, but uh, three uh, members of the Mission Viejo California City Council, including uh, one who has run for office before and has been a guest on the Bottom Line show, Um, have been forced to give up their seats, not because of their deeply held and sincerely held religious convictions, but rather because apparently they broke the law. Uh, Judge Walter Schwarm made the order effective on Wednesday, August the 31st. Uh, There's 30 days to implement the removal of these uh, members of the council. It gives their attorneys time to appeal or uh, rather uh, it'll go to an appellate court. Who will then make a determination as to whether or not the judge's ruling will will stand? Three of the Mission Viejo City Council members actually remained in office beyond their two-year term. Um, apparently, that's every two years they have vote they vote for city council members, and the three members in question overstayed their welcome. Uh, city Councilman Greg Rath's, City Councilwoman Wendy Bucknam, and City Councilman Ed Sachs. Uh, were actually sued by a resident of Mission Viejo earlier this year over the length of their current term in office. A guy called Michael Schlesinger was the one who actually filed the lawsuit. There was a hearing last Tuesday that focused on how the city could legally function with only two city council members on the board. And city attorney Bill Curley said that all of this is now in the hands of the city manager, so he and his staff will have to do their thinking on this one. How in the world did a five-member city council allow two members of said council to stay on past their terms? Well, this lawsuit was filed in May earlier this year, and it challenged whether or not the elected members of the Mission Viejo City Council should have been extended in their terms from two years to four years in 2020. Uh, The officials were working on a new system, a new voting system in in the city that would extend the lengths of the term. Uh, Bucknam, Rath, and Sachs were elected in 2018 to what voters were told was a two year term. It was part of the city's plan to kick off a new system called cumulative voting in 2020. Then in 2020, uh, the two year term would be up and you could run for re election. But when that year came, city officials delayed the implementation until 2022. The reason they said was because California's Secretary of State. Uh, pushed back a little bit and said, we need more time to get the system approved. So uh, Councilwoman Bucknum, Rath, Raths and Sachs remained in their seats through the 2020 election. The city said that the two-year terms for these three elected members were contingent on the city implementing cumulative voting. And when that attempt was delayed, and then ultimately they scrapped it, the city's regular ordinance went back into play, which meant Four year terms. Now, what's interesting about this is the members of the council said, Well, we're just going to stand for four years. But in all honesty, what happened was the city council implemented a new plan saying we're going to go we'll get rid of the four year terms. We're doing two year terms. The two year terms were what people voted for in 2018. Now, the fact that the Secretary of State was not able to grant them full permission to implement this in time for the 2020 election, they then basically changed the rules. Now, City Councilwoman Bucknum said that council members, quote, have not wavered from following solid legal advice from our city attorney. She said, this is disappointing that the issue is being done in the middle of an election. Believes it was an unfortunate tactic to weaponize our courts to influence Elections. Greg Raths also said something similar where he said there's really not any issue in 2020 when his seat was not put up for election. He said, I'm a law abiding guy. I will accept the ruling, but I'm just disappointed because it looks like it's partisan politics. In his order, Judge Schwarm wrote that the finding of the council member's terms in office were for two years was based on a handful of city documents, including a public notice of election and a resolution adopted by the city council certifying the election results in 2018, which both noted the fixed terms, two years. He also pointed to a 2018 agreement and a 2020 amended revision that settled a lawsuit against the city and set the process of moving to cumulative voting which included years that all five seats were to be on the ballot, but did not, quote, expressly extend the terms for the seats at issue from two to four years. Then the judge wrote, looking at the state election law and said that the terms of the elected members expired in December, 2020, and then determined, well, gosh, it's September, 2022 right now. He determined that they are, quote, currently not lawfully holding their offices. Now, it doesn't mean that Councilman Raths Councilman Sachs or Councilwoman Bucknam can seek reelection in November. Uh, it, It doesn't keep them out of that at all. And it means that their position on the city council can be included on the ballot. All three have filed to run and they will be running for these new seats. But Michael Schlesinger, the guy who filed the lawsuit back in May, said this is basically a victory for voting rights. Aaron Hand is the attorney representing Michael Schlesinger, who said these people refuse to call an election. So they got to hold on to power, collect the salary from the city, collect benefits on the people's backs. Now, it's interesting to see how the city will actually function. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen on the, the, the council members in terms of what they're going to do, because there's a 16 million dollar plan right now to widen and approve a bridge on the Paz Road. That's not going to continue until they can figure out who's going to be on the council. Quite frankly, they have to wait till November 8th. Um, we'll have to see what happens, but we'll put this article up at com. It's interesting to see how partisan politics could be behind this lawsuit. But quite frankly, looks like the city of Mission Viejo had a responsibility and they did not live up to it. The article I mentioned is up at TheBottomLineShow.com. As we continue, <laughs> remember back in the 70s when all of the different uh, the different uh, actors and activists were running around saying, we've got to get rid of nuclear power because it's dangerous and, and, and we're all going to melt down if we're not careful because Three Mile Island and everything like that. Well, in light of that, it's interesting how things change when you become the party in power and you have to make the decisions as to what's best for the nation. What is Gavin Newsom doing about nuclear power in the state of California? We'll tell you coming up next as the bottom line continues. Want to continue receiving income into retirement with little market risk? Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services can help you secure a permanent income and benefits addressing your risk tolerance with professional advisory
1: knowledge. You have a large 401k or IRA as your retirement nest egg. How about a four-dimensional plan that will pay you and your spouse income for life without stock market risk? How about we include inflation benefits so your income goes up annually? How about we include extra income benefits for long-term care, and if you need one or both, you both have it? That's right, permanent income. Inflation benefits, long-term care benefits, with no market risk. We have put over $50 million of our client's money in the 40 account in the last few years. These clients are sleeping way better at night. Learn more when you call
0: Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, for simply better alternatives. <laughs> the heat is on. That's for sure. We're praying that uh, you're staying safe and cool and uh, enjoying the last few days of summer. Boy, you know what they say, March comes in like a lion and out like a lamb. Summer doesn't seem to want to get away anytime soon, especially when it comes down to the heat here in the People's Republic of California. But today here on The Bottom Line, it's Super Tuesday. Gavin Newsom's up for re-election. And so what do you think he's doing with regard to the energy crisis? Remember, this is the state that over the weekend said there's going to be a big uh, surge of the power grid and people are going to be out of power and there aren't, isn't going to be enough electricity. So you know what to do. Don't use power. I mean, right as a matter of fact, uh, the power grid typically gets hit the hardest about 45 minutes from now for the next five hours or so. What's interesting about this whole power thing, of course, is the conundrum that the governor has kind of painted himself into a corner regarding. All we've been hearing for the past several years has been electric, electric, electric is the future, future, future. Coal is bad. Natural gas is bad. uh, Gasoline engines bad. And California leading the way. Now, granted, this is not just something that started with Gavin Newsom. This is something that goes back to Arnold. (laughs) <laughs> when Arnold Schwarzenegger ran as a rhino, Republican in name only, back in the mid to early 2000s, um, back during the aughts, uh, we ought have paid closer attention to the fact that he's a globalist and he wanted uh, green technology bills passed that would wind up taking states like California and sending a lot of our resources, meaning money, um, internationally. The green crisis, as it were, uh, kind of led to a brownout in California. And we saw the fruits of that labor. By the end of 2020, California's population down by 700,000. California lost a uh, a member of the House of Representatives. As a matter of fact, you'll hear Democrats, especially bellyaching over redistricting and gerrymandering. And this is so terrible. And the new district is forcing people out of the, of, of the House of Representatives. The reality is 700,000 people left California during the two, uh, 2010s. And as a result, we're redistricting because Congress passed a law in 1929 that said the number of seats in the House of Representatives will be 435 and the number of senators will be 100. So basically, I mean, that 100 goes back to you know the founders, but the House of Representatives has a cap. Instead of following the actual Constitution and giving us enough representation per 50 to 60,000 people, now we are stuck at 435. And so what that means is if California loses population, and another state gains population like, I don't know, Texas, then they pick up a representative and we lose one. But the big push to make green everything and electricity has been sold to you now as the solution. Electric cars will replace gasoline cars, and that will solve all of our environmental problems, and it won't, not by a long shot. Different states have different ways of generating electricity, but many people aren't aware of the fact that a lot of uh, the generation of electricity happened because of coal production. So when you get rid of the coal miners, which is something President Obama was big on, let's get clean coal or no coal at all. And then you see President Biden cozying up to Joe Manchin saying, hey, look, I need to have this Inflation Reduction Act, What, what can I do for you? And Joe Manchin says, well, I'm in West Virginia, And our biggest export is coal. So why don't you lay off my coal miners? And the president says, done. And you get an election year deal that passes a big old spending thing, a big old handout for other people, but also tells people, well, maybe coal isn't so bad after all. Hey, California is not Iowa where 70% of the electricity is generated from wind. But you heard the conflicting reports over the weekend the governor's office on the one hand it's hey guess what by 2035 you will not be able to buy a brand new gasoline powered car in the people's republic of california hip hip hooray oh by the way this weekend we don't have enough power on the electrical grid so don't charge your electric car and have a nice weekend When President Biden announced when he first took office that he wanted the entire fleet of federal vehicles to be electric by 2030, no one bothered to pay attention to the report saying, excuse me, Mr. President, sir, excuse me, uh, we have a small problem with that request. And the small problem is there's not enough electricity on the grid anywhere to handle that request. 4% of the vehicles in the United States are electric powered right now. We would need to increase our power sourcing by, oh, I don't know, 25 fold just to handle the cars that would need to be charged. But go ahead and push that charge thing on everybody. Is there enough lithium? Are there enough batteries? And what about the recycling? What about the true green part? Sure, you're going to burn cleaner with an electric car, but at what cost? What does it do to the landfills when you can't recycle that car? What happens to the solar turbines, the, wind, or excuse me, the wind-powered turbines that cost a half a million dollars each to decommission. You have to play the entire movie. You got to play out the whole scene. Leftists are motivated by good intentions, but you know what good intentions do. They pave the road to you know where. As we continue, you're going to see where Gavin Newsom is now having to do a little Texas two-step or a California two-step because of the fact that there's not going to be enough electricity, because of the fact that a lot of the green technology that they want to push is actually pushing them to do something that would be unthinkable even just a couple of years ago. What happens to nuclear power when the People's Republic of California says no more gas-powered engines, we're going to use all electricity? Oh, by the way, we don't have enough electricity to power the state. PG&E is in for a big payday courtesy of governor and candidate Gavin Newsom to keep a nuclear power plant open. Which one and how much? We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about election year politics and Gavin Newsom kind of contradicting himself of sorts. The same guy who said I want California all electric and off of gasoline power by 2035. The same guy who said we're going to close our only our last remaining nuclear power plant by 2025, even though we have no place to put it. Trust me, when they shut down the San Onofre nuclear power plant, they did so not realizing that they had no place to put the nuclear waste and no place to actually take all of the apparatus that were there and recycle them because no, it would violate so many EPA rules to To do so. Well, now the only other one left is in Central California, right there on the central coast. Good old Diablo Canyon. Activists have been trying to shut Diablo Canyon down since Three Mile Island back in 1978. Or 79. And uh Chernobyl and that that whole bit. Remember the China syndrome? The stop Diablo when i had my first radio job at Atascadero back in 1983, the stop Diablo Canyon bumper stickers were everywhere. And closing down nuclear power, well, because we got to get rid of nuclear power because it's dangerous. If there's a spill, everyone's going to die. Not it's cheap, it's clean, it's affordable. And now California Governor Gavin Newsom, in a draft bill that was obtained by the Associated Press last week, said that the California Energy Commission wants to see about the possibility of keeping Diablo Canyon open for a few more years, quote-unquote, And the reason is, well, I'll let you hear it straight from them. They would get a $1.4 billion loan for Pacific Gas and Electric to keep Diablo Canyon open past 2025. And according to a spokesman for Governor Newsom, Anthony York, he said the bill impacts, uh, says the impacts of climate change are occurring sooner than anticipated and are simultaneously driving up electrical demand while reducing power supplies. What he could have just said was, we didn't do our due diligence, we just thought it would be great and we'd get lots of federal money for trying to push everybody electric, and we didn't realize we don't have the capacity to generate that much electricity. And Nuclear power is clean and it's cheap, it's very cost-effective, Other countries around the world use it. It's only the United States that's, well, well, you know, 40 years ago, there was a spill at Diablo at Three Mile One. And so therefore, that's always going to happen. There's not been any of that problem happening at Diablo Canyon. But it's an election year and in an election year, what do you do? Your donor base is energized by the fact that you told everybody you would make green and clean. And so now you're kind of stuck with having to try to get reelected. Gavin Newsom is defeatable with the right candidate against him. He is definitely defeatable. The question is how many Californians will show up and put their money where their vote is. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, you know Dr. Gary Chapman is the author of The Five Love Languages, New York Times bestseller, book that was released 30 years ago this month and sells better every year than it did the year before. Well, Gary Chapman also has a lifelong friendship with a very d- dear friend of his, an African-American guy by the name of Clarence Schuler. Gary and Clarence, North Carolina, an unlikely friendship. But as they've been watching what's happening in the news and the headlines, they began to realize, hey, in the body of Christ, understanding your love language isn't just enough. You can help heal racial divides one relationship at a time, just as they have done in their 50 plus year friendship. They've written a brand new book called "Life Changing Cross Cultural Friendships." they got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. This may be the most important book that Dr. Gary Chapman has ever written and released. And I am privileged that we will have a conversation about this topic with Dr. Gary Chapman on the other side of this break. We'll also be joined by Dr. Clarence Schuler, who is the president and CEO of Building Lasting Relationships. They're going to talk about their friendship, they're going to talk about their partnership. They're going to talk about how we in the body of Christ, even if we just have one cross-cultural relationship, can actually bring healing and reconciliation by living out the love of Christ in relationships that the world isn't expecting. Gary Chapman, coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well joining me today here on the bottom line show is a man who is, uh, I think it would be safe to say is iconic in the work that he has done for the church, especially as it pertains to relationships and helping people uh, you know, understand the differences between different backgrounds and different positions. Dr. Gary Chapman is with me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about a brand new book of his, if you are familiar with The Five Love Languages and who isn't. Um, Dr. Gary Chapman is author, speaker, counselor, and, uh, is to, 5lovelanguages.com, check out and find all the different things that he has done. His brand new book moves into different territory for Dr. Chapman. It's called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Gary Chapman, welcome to The Bottom Line Show.
2: Well, thank you, Roger. It's good to be back with you again.
0: I was going to say, as I like, welcome back to the bottom line, shows more appropriate though. But for those who are watching on myhopenow.com, dot com, this is the first time we've had a chance to do a Zoom Pro recording. So not only do you get to hear Dr. Chapman, but you get to see him too. And for somebody who licked COVID a month or so ago, Gary, you look great. I mean, you look like you're doing very look like you're doing <laughs> well, very well. Thank you,
2: Roger. I, I'm feeling good again.
0: Uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's no fun. Hey, let's talk about it. Let's get right into the heart of this book because you and Clarence, I mean, obviously uh, you've got a lifelong friendship. Uh, you coming from the Anglo perspective, him coming from the African-American perspective, uh, the, the five love languages is iconic. My goodness. Did I read about you in the New York times over the weekend about the 30th anniversary <laughs> of five love languages? I mean, that's big time uptown.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was kind of shocked uh, to see that. They had said they wanted to write an article, but uh... It's the 30-year anniversary of the Bible. (laughs) which just hard to believe it's been out 30 years, Uh and every year it sells more than the year before. It's, it's incredible, incredible. it's amazing so.
0: it, it, it keeps growing and i know there are people who might want to get into pedantic arguments about well no, are those the greek or the hebrew or the whatever what what you have accomplished though to help people and, and i i know that my wife and i recently uh we were both uh, married before and then uh, now the second marriage for both of us and i knew right away the first time i met lisa i said oh give her gifts okay but note to self because <laughs> that's way down on my list it is number one with a bullet on her list and so uh but but you know i don't mind being on the receiving end of that that's for sure but i i owe it all to uh, you dr chapman uh, let's talk about the the fact that you're taking these types of principles now and extending them into what you would call cross-cultural friendships talk about why it was so important for this book to come out right now
2: well you know as you mentioned clarence schuler uh, and i have been friends for over 50 years and when i say friends i mean close close friends And uh, our friendship has been so enriching to both of us. You know, him helping me understand the African-American culture and my helping him understand where I'm coming from. And, but what really motivated us to write this book at this time is all the racial tensions that we've seen in our country over the last two years. Uh And uh, both of us said, if we're ever gonna do this and share with others what we believe is a step in the right direction to healing racial uh, divides, Uh, It's time to do it. And so in the book, of course, we tell our own story, uh, which started way back in the late 60s, when in the South, where we we lived in North Carolina, lived in the same town, uh, things were really tense in those days. I mean, I remember waking up and going outside and looking at the uh, National Guard standing on the street corners, Uh, the Ku Klux Klan had marched downtown uh, until the Black Panthers got there. I mean that was the culture in which we uh, which we met, and so uh, we just we just feel like if uh, every Christian in this country could have at least one close personal friend of a different race or culture, it would change the climate in this country. And we're not just making a black-white issue. I mean we're talking you know any other culture, Hispanic or you know any culture, because all of us. Interface in, to some degree with people of a different race or culture. It says that often we don't even recognize each other, and sometimes we just say hi, you know, or good morning, or you know. But we we don't have close friendships. So that's what motivated us to write the book, and we're we're having a good response to it, and we're hoping that uh, many Christians will take this seriously, and this book will be a help uh, for them as they seek to build a cross-cultural friendship.
0: Dr. Gary Chapman, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the new book is called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time, and uh, he and Clarence Schuler, are the authors of this book, uh, talk about their relationship and give us an example of what that looks like. You mentioned something uh, that was really compelling, Dr. Chapman, that I wanna circle back around to. And I know a lot of people would say, oh yeah, well, I know this person. You know, I know of that person. There's a couple of people who are different from my culture in my church, for example. And I think I've got this licked, but you talked about the friendship part that you and Clarence have. I mean, a real deep friendship, a true one. And you mentioned in the book that friendship begins with courtesy and patience. Talk about what that means specifically. Because I know a lot of people are saying, Quick, I got to go find somebody who's out of, outside of my comfort zone, and let's find <laughs> something we have in common, like football, and all of a sudden, we're friends. It's a much deeper level than that, isn't
2: it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the word courtesy uh, comes from two Greek words. One, uh, one of them means the mind, and the other means friend or friendly. Huh. So it's to be friendly-minded. Huh. In other words, treat people that you encounter as though they were a friend. I sometimes illustrate, you know, if you pull into a packed parking lot and you see an empty slot and you're headed for it, but you also see a car come around the other side, what are you going to do? Most of us speed up and get it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> but, yeah, but if you recognize that that person in that car was a friend of yours, mm. chances are you just slow down and let them have the slot. Uh-huh. Well, what if we treat everyone as though they were a friend? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, that to me is one of the first steps in taking uh, in, in building a friendship. You know, uh, we use an illustration in the book, for example, of of uh, two ladies, one white and one black, that kept seeing each other in the grocery store on the same day each week, and they would just pass each other and sometimes say nothing, or or sometimes say good morning, or you know, just just that. So one day. The, uh, the, the white lady took the initiative to say, uh, you know, this must be your shopping day. I see you here almost every week. And she said, it is. And uh, she said, well, h- how are you doing? And she said, well, I'm doing fine, except my mother is really, really sick. Huh. And she said, really? And so she started inquiring, and she told her about her mother. And the lady said, well, you know, I- I'm going to pray for your mother this week. She said, oh, well, that would be nice. And so she prayed for her mother. And the next week she saw the lady and she asked her, how's your mother doing? She said, well, she's a little better, but not much. She said, you know, would it be okay with you if I came by and just visited with your mother and had prayer with her in person? And she said, well, yes, if if you'd like to do that. And so the lady went with some flowers and uh, met her mother and gave flowers and then had prayer with her after she'd talked for a while. And uh the next week uh, the 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 african-american lady said to her my mother was shocked that a white lady would come to our house and pray for her Uh and she said well you know as i see it uh if we know jesus we're all in the same family right and so i'm just visiting family (laughs) 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 And, and eventually the two of them started having lunches together you know getting to know each other better and then later they she invited her to a bible study at her house and then the lady met other, uh, you know, a- Anglos who were, who were uh, at the meeting. And so, you know, it was just, that's, it's that simple, you know, and, and yet it's that unusual that we yeah. will start a relationship with someone that we, that we may see on a rather regular basis.
0: Dr. Gary Chapman with me today here on The Bottom Line. He and Clarence Schuler are the co-authors of a brand new book called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides, one relationship at a time. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the issue of sometimes people will say, well, I don't have to go out of my way to do this because I don't see color. Uh, That's something I think Dr. Chapman might not agree with you on. And we're going to talk about why on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Dr. Gary Chapman, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, New York Times bestselling author. And well, heck, he was a cover guy. Or what was it? It was a feature article in the recent New York Times about uh, the 30th anniversary of the five love languages. The brand new book is, I don't want to say it's not as whimsical as the five love languages is in that whole series. But it's, I think, equally important, maybe even more so right now in the culture that we're living in. The book is called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships. How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides, One Relationship at a Time, co-authored by Dr. Gary Chapman and his longtime friend, Clarence Schuler. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Before the break, Dr. Chapman, I, 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 I mentioned the phrase that you hear often from people. They'll see the turmoil that's happening in the streets and has been for the past couple of years, and people frustrated with each other. Sometimes ethnicity comes into it, and you'll hear somebody invariably somebody of the anglo persuasion saying well i don't know why there's all this problem because i don't see color you have a chapter in your book that says friends are not colorblind (laughs) to help us kind of give us a level set here dr gary Chapman, if you would about that phrase
2: well i understand the intention uh, of what the person is saying they're trying to say i try to treat all races and cultures uh, you know on an equal level sure i think that's what most people mean by that but Clarence Shuler, my co-author, is the one that really brought this to my attention. He said, Gary, if we're colorblind, he said, what color are we?
0: Mm. If all
2: of us are the same color, what color are we? Right. Are we white? Are we all black? Are we all? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, he, and he said, I don't think people realize that when an Anglo says, you know, well, I'm just color- in, 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 the, in the presence of a, uh, a person who's black and they say, I'm, I'm colorblind. They're wondering, well, what, what, uh, what color are we? Are we all white? You know, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he said, rather than acting like there are no differences, let's acknowledge the differences and let's celebrate the differences, uh, particularly for Christians. I mean, you know, the Christian family is composed of believers all over the world and all kinds of cultures and all kinds of races, and uh, we are, we're different, you can look at us and tell we're different, you know. Uh, and yet, you know, in First Corinthians 12. It talks about the Christian body, Christian family is like a body. Some are eyes and ears and noses and all that. It takes all together uh, where the family. So we celebrate diversity rather than, uh, you know, using that word. And and neither one of us are, you know, just saying, well, don't do that. You know, we're just Uh saying "Be, be sensitive because you may be saying something that the other person's hearing something very different from what you're saying.
0: Mm. It's important to understand, you know, what's happening in the relationship, but how it impacts people in the culture. And I know, Dr. Chapman, you mentioned in our earlier segment that one of the reasons why you and Clarence felt so compelled to write this book. I mean, having a 50-plus-year friendship history that goes back to the 60s, you know what the civil rights movement was all about, and you kind of experienced, you know, what it was like to have the the kind of almost militant presence on the streets of North Carolina where you guys were coming of age. And, and over the past couple of years, we've seen a lot more of racial tension, police brutality issues, things of that nature. And we've discussed that ad nauseum here on The Bottom Line Show. Uh, one of the things that you write about, though, is the fact that there are, are going to be some differences of opinion. And sometimes it's not just as easy as saying, OK, well, I'm the white guy and I have a black or Hispanic friend and I'm just going to basically agree with them on everything they say you know, because that, that'll be a strong, now, you know, as a counselor, you're saying, man, can you imagine a marriage like that? I mean, that it would never work. Talk about why we have to learn if we're going to be friends with each other, we're going to reach across, you know, cultural boundaries, but we're also going to say, hey, there's got to be some kind of ground rule with regard to what happens when conflict arises and we don't agree on it.
2: Yeah, you, you're exactly right. You know, I, of course, I've been in marriage counseling for years and and I say this, there are no couples, no married couples who don't have conflicts for one simple reason, we're human. right? And humans don't think the same way and humans don't have the same feelings. And that is certainly true when you're building cross-cultural friendships. Uh, I give an illustration very early in my relationship with Clarence because we met in a, in a church gymnasium. Uh, I had the young people there on Tuesday nights, about a hundred white kids. And one night he and his friend, uh, walked into the, that gymnasium two black faces and 100 white faces you know mm-hmm. and that's where our relationship started back in the mm-hmm. 60s wow so uh, and he walked about he and his buddy walked about four miles to get there one of our students had invited him integration was just starting and one of our students had invited him to come and so when i found out he had to walk so far i said well let me come and pick you up next week we'd love to have you guys join us so i'm about to pick, pick him up and i parked in front of his house and and he and his buddy James were sitting on the, on the porch, and I got out of my car and started toward the house, and I said, you boys ready to go? And his mm. friend James said, I ain't no boy. Mm. And I said, okay, James, I think I need to listen uh-huh. to you.
0: Uh-huh. Uh,
2: uh-huh. I said, now we got to get to the meeting now, but when this meeting's over, why don't the three of us sit down, and I want you to tell me, I want you to tell me what that word boy means to you. And so that night, after it was all over, we probably had a two-hour conversation in the car, the three of us, you know, just wow. sitting there. And they told me, you know, our fathers uh, are sometimes called boys by white men that they work with, and they've always told us, "Don't ever let a white man call you boy." Uh-huh. It's a derogatory term, a put-down right. term. Right. And I said, guys, I am sorry, man. I had no idea that 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 word, you know, communicated that to you guys. I said, I, I'm just sorry. I will not do that again. And when they saw that I was empathetic, I said, let, let, let me share my perspective, guys. I said, if I were picking up two white guys your age, I would have called them boys. Because to me, boy has to do with age. And right. it has nothing to do with race. And, and now they understood my perspective. You know, that I, I didn't see it as a, as a put down. Uh, and so, you know, uh, Clarence says, I don't think you're ever, ever. He, he said after that, he could have called us boys, but he said, I don't think he ever did again. And I don't think I ever did. again. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, those kind of things are going to come up because uh, this difference in terms of how we perceive, uh, you know, what a, a particular word or a phrase or something. Uh-huh. And so that's just a part of becoming a friend. And yeah. it requires the same thing it does in marriage. And that is Listening to the other person's perspective and trying to understand where they're coming from. So you don't try to win an argument. You're just trying to understand each other. And then you can decide how to handle that in the future. And
0: that is so important for us to understand what Dr. Gary Gary Chapman just shared with us today here on The Bottom Line about the idea of we're in a culture right now that is fight or flight. You've got to win the argument. You've got to drop the mic on social media. See, I won the internet today or whatever because of the way we handle ourselves in conversation. And if we're going to build life-changing friendships, especially cross-cultural friendships, there's got to be a lot more courtesy and patience, as Dr. Chapman mentioned in our first segment. But also there has to be uh, this kind of uh, the ability to apologize, which in its classic definition means give an explanation, and then to offer forgiveness, and yeah, a term that you used. And if you had said that to me when I was growing up, I would have said, "Yeah, let's go." You know, it's no big deal to me. <laughs> but I understand <laughs> that in my wife's side of the family, you know, so you say something like that, that two-hour conversation would have ensued, and that's and that's a huge thing for us to remember. Okay, you've got a cross-cultural friendship challenge. That you include in this book dr gary chapman how many of us do you think will be up for it is it something we can actually succeed at
2: you know i believe it is uh, and i think many many christians are are asking the question in the last couple of years you know what 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 can i do i mean we see the turmoil that's there and the lack of understanding and all of this but we ask what can i do what can one person do well i believe here's something one person can do any any individual can, if they're Christians can say to God, Lord, is there someone of a different race or culture that maybe is already in my you know uh, general uh, circumstances that I've just I've been kind to I've spoken to them good morning you know but I've never I don't know anything about them right Is there someone that I could begin to show interest in and maybe seek to build a friendship with And I believe God will answer that prayer. Because I believe, I believe it's on the heart of God that we learn to relate in a positive, friendly way across those lines. And so uh, our challenge is that for every Christian, you know, you think about this and ask God, you know, is this something I can do or you want me to do? And if we had enough Christians who had this one, this one friend like Clarence and I have, I don't have, I don't have another friend out that I'm as close to as I am Clarence over 50 years. And we talk in the book about different levels of friendship, you know, different types of Uh friendship. And any of those are good. And any of those can lead to a a lifelong friendship. But we have to take the first step. And that's what we're challenging Christians to do.
0: Yeah. Well, this book will be a a helpful resource to get you to take that first step. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman and Clarence Shuler writing a book called Life Changing cross-cultural friendships how you can help heal racial divides one relationship at a time we've got a link for the book up at show.com. dr gary chapman what a delightful conversation i believe one of the most important ones we've had here on the bottom line show i'm grateful for your scholarship and and your friendship to our program over the years thanks for spending time with us today to talk about your brand new book here on the bottom line show
2: well thank you roger it's always uh, good to be with you i appreciate what you're doing keep up the good work okay
0: Thank you, we will do so. And I appreciate this uh, book resource that we do have uh, right here in our hot little hands. As a matter of fact, if you are looking for a way to ease some of the tension in your culture, maybe in your church, maybe in your uh, family, maybe in your uh, neighborhood, I, I commend to you the book by Dr. Gary Chapman and Dr. Clarence Schuler. It's called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we have a copy of the book to give away right now. Uh, this will help to cool off the, uh, uh, the summer heat that we're all experiencing all throughout the Bottom Line Show Network. Teresa, standing by to take your call, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 227 5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line to get the brand new book by Dr. Gary Chapman of Five Love Languages fame is Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 that's the number to get you through to the bottom line. My thanks again to Dr. Gary Chapman for joining us today here on the Bottom Line show, talking about the brand new book that he has written with his good friend Dr. Clarence Schuler kind of giving us a black and white perspective on life-changing cross-cultural friendships, how you can help heal racial divides. One Relationship at a Time. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a copy of the book they're giving away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Teresa's standing by to take your calls, as I mentioned. And as we think about this, will one book solve the problem? Of course not. Is Gary Chapman an expert on cross-cultural relational? No. Not, not, not at all. And he would be the first to tell you that that's not his area of expertise. What you're reading in this book is the heartfelt testimony of two men who are both uh, academically sound, spiritually solid. Um, they love God. They love each other. They love the friendship that they shared for more than 50 years, and they've seen racial tension in this culture kind of spiral out of control in certain areas. Uh, this book was actually born, uh, Gary said. Uh, As a result of seeing the rioting and the frustrations people had a couple of summers ago, from George Floyd to Ahmed Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, et cetera, et cetera. And the question wasn't so much, well, how much money do you give to an organization like Black Lives Matter, or what can churches do? You know, what's the media doing to be more sensitive and getting more representation on television? Gary said the simple premise is. I'm white. Clarence is black. We've been friends for over 50 years. We wrote about our friendship. Simply put. Um, Important lessons that they've learned to grow authentic friendships across racial and ethnic barriers. And one of the things that Gary talks about in the book is don't do the whole I'm colorblind. I don't see color, but rather say, no, way, God created us differently from different backgrounds. So we could talk about, you know. What happens if you do become friends? Gary, you would put the challenge just as saying, hey, maybe there's someone you know that you know on a casual basis, kind of a handshake, hi, how are you neighbor or someone you work with or whatever, but you really wanna get to know each other better on a deeper level. Friendship, Dr. Gary Chapman and Dr. Clarence Schuler write in this book uh, begins with courtesy and patience. And I love the biblical definition of courtesy. It means to have a friendly heart toward someone where you think in terms of how you can show your friendship by literally being friendly toward someone, thinking of their needs before your own. The fact that you can disagree agreeably, that you can start with that courtesy and patience, but then also extend it to apologizing when necessary and forgiveness. I like to think of it this way. Scripture tells us that we're to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. So how about we focus on the quick to listen part with people who come from different ethnic backgrounds? It's amazing what you can learn when you're not lecturing. Quick to listen, slow to speak, often results in slow to anger. And Gary Chapman writes about that in his brand new book called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Heal Racial Divides, One relationship at a time. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Let's take a quick break now. For those who are KCBC audience, enjoy Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus. Don't forget Bottom Line Show Extra tonight at 7 for you and Bottom Line Rewind tomorrow at 10.30. For those who remain on the network, President Biden gave a speech last Thursday night. Perhaps you heard about it. He chose a very ominous anniversary to give a speech. He chose an ominous backdrop behind him to give this speech and then began to lecture Americans on why he believes that MAGA forces are determined to take the country backwards and they're a threat to our democracy. So what exactly did he say? And what's a good Christian response to the president's words? Is it a challenge that we need to accept and do better? to eliminate problems, or is it maybe a little campaign grandstanding a couple months before an election where they really need to energize their base? We're going to hear what President Biden said last Thursday, coming up next as the bottom line continues.
3: Right after you get into an accident, you need to call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to begin the process of healing. Too many people make the wrong choice and try to handle their case on their own. Don't be gullible. Your insurance company does not have your best interests in mind their job is to save money not help you recover stephanie's priority is you she will help you recover wholly mind body and spirit as well as get you the settlement you deserve begin your recovery by contacting stephanie first and follow her instructions to streamline your healing process stephanie has over 25 years of experience and knows how to get you healed and restored although your friends and family may have good intentions they are not personal injury attorneys and therefore they do not know the best way to help you. Stephanie Cover does and she will help you put the pieces back together financially, physically and spiritually. You need to write down her number now, 877-214-4935 or go to kbrightradio.com/coverlaw. Your healing begins with Cover Law.
0: Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Super Tuesday edition of the program, and uh, we're still taking your calls at 800-227-5278 for the outstanding new book by Dr. Gary Thomas of the Five Love, or Dr. Gary Chapman of the Five Love Languages, and Dr. Clarence Schuler, his longtime friend. They've written a book called Life Changing Cross Cultural Friendships: How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. Uh, the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We do have a copy of it for giveaway for you at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, interestingly enough, I, I mentioned in the last segment that one of the ways that best ways that I found for effectively uh, trying to bridge gaps between uh, cross-cultural friendships and you know help heal racial divides is to remember the words of scripture, to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. And I believe that if you are quick to listen and slow to speak, you will eventually be slow to anger. And so everybody else will be around you Uh, because one of two things will happen. (laughs) If you are slow to speak and quick to listen, then you'll hear what people are actually saying instead of kind of making up in your minds what they wanna say. You know, Sometimes you have to anticipate what's gonna happen next in a conversation. But the reality is um, if you give people a chance to speak, and speak their mind and speak their heart and share where they are, even if you don't agree with it, at least you'll have a better understanding of where they're coming from. I mean, think about God and how many times we come to him in prayer with, I mean, let's face it, the noted theologian Garth Brooks hit the nail on the head. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. right? Um, God listens to us, pour out our hearts and pour out our hearts. and pour, He listens and listens and listens. He's slow to anger with us, but then he does what he's going to do anyway why because he's god and he knows what's best for us so in in a culture that is not only quick to speak but quick to react quick to respond and really seemingly quick to try to quiet anything that doesn't sound like what they want to hear we are, are now in a political climate here in the midterm election where we see one political party having a supermajority, that would be the Democrat party. Remember back in 2010, there was a, or excuse me, 2008 election gave us a two-year Democrat supermajority. And then there was a big sweep with the Tea Party crowd coming through and the Republicans wound up taking back the House and eventually the Senate, then they lost the Senate, then they lost the House, then they lost the White House. But remember, I mean, people talk about threats to democracy and how the fascist dictator Donald Trump was gonna ruin us. Donald Trump inherited a supermajority and the United States is still here. He had a Republican majority in the House and the Senate. He ran as a Republican and we're still here. Joe Biden has been president for about uh, 18, 19 months with a supermajority in the House and Senate and we're still here. So the system appears to be working, but that did not deter the 46th president of the United States from taking to the stage last Thursday. The stage in front of the White House that was ominously lit. Did you see this? This was really incredible to see. Here's the president accompanied by the first lady. And he takes, he's going to give an address to the nation because he felt it was important to address the nation on the dangers of the so-called threats to our democracy. Now you can be. Purposeful and ask the question, what were the threats to the democracy? Well, anytime an election is rigged, that's a threat to democracy. Regardless, I mean, both sides get impacted by that. And there's plenty of tangible proof that the 2020 presidential election was rigged. Uh, not stolen. You know, that's the media will say, oh, the big lie, Donald Trump, big lie. Uh, it says sto-. Not stolen, rigged. And it will take us years to find out how much rigging was going on. But then you go back to house resolution one in 2019 and democrat operatives in the house of representatives were trying to just something as simple as innocuous as moving to all mail-in balloting rigs an election for one party over the other it favors the party that has a higher percentage of people who vote by mail and by some strange miracle no one on the left seems the least bit concerned with the fact that the last presidential election where the mail-in balloting was considerably lower, and typically 4% of mail-in balloting gets tossed because it's either voted on by the wrong person, they didn't sign it, they're not registered to vote in that county, et cetera, et cetera, or they didn't even, in some cases, you have some people trying to vote by mail that aren't officially registered to vote by mail. But in 2020, where you had an exponential increase in the number of people who were voting by mail, the margin of error, the discard rate, went from 4% to 0.4%. I mean, basically statistical anomaly. There's no way you could have a number that low. And yet somehow we did. But rules were changed. Laws were in some cases broken, even in the president's home state, Delaware. Delaware had a problem. Rhode Island had a problem. There were laws that were passed by their state legislatures that should have been voted on by the people. And so in direct violation of constitutional law, laws were passed. That sounds like rigging to me. You know, and then there's the phantom balloting and you know, some states it it didn't really matter. Like I think in in Delaware, the, the fact that there were a number of absentee votes that were thrown out was like twice as high as it typically is. But that didn't favor one candidate or the other because President Biden had a very healthy lead in the general polls. But when it comes to Arizona, when it comes to Wisconsin, when it comes to Pennsylvania, even in Georgia. The media narrative is Donald Trump tried to get people to give him more votes and to you know, shake people down and now there's a federal investigation and blah, blah, blippity, blah. The reality is laws were changed illegally in some cases and now that those laws are being corrected legally in states like Georgia and states like Texas, you're seeing that these ballot box integrity measures, election integrity laws are being passed for the primaries and they're working. Much to the chagrin of the left, the left has a narrative, and the narrative is Donald Trump will eat your lunch and steal your ice cream money, and and he's horrible, bad for America, and our democracy is at risk. But don't just take my word for it. Last Thursday, September 1st, on the anniversary of the Nazi invasion of Poland, President Biden stood in front of the White House in a dimly lit, red highlighted background, with full military, a whole corps of Marines behind him, armed as if to protect somehow. Timmy, what do you get? You get a speech in the Oval Office, right? Good evening, my fellow Americans, presidential seal on the podium, it's the president, that's all you see. This was a full military display. And President Biden made some rather outrageous claims I'd like to get your take on. Joel, we've got a couple of highlights
4: here, if you would. Cut number one, this is Joe Biden last Thursday night. Equality and democracy are under assault. We do ourselves no favor to pretend otherwise. So tonight, I've come to this place where it all began to speak as plainly as I can to the nation about the threats we face, about the power we have in our own hands to meet these threats, and about the incredible future that lies in front of us, if only we choose it. this is excerpted highlights from a
0: 27-minute address. We'll put the full address up at thebottomlineshow.com. And to be fair to the president, he did an, preface his talk by saying, you know, not every Republican's a bad guy, but, you know, the MAGA Republicans are the problem. You're going to hear him say that in a little bit. But it's so interesting for him to just get up and casually make the statement. Democracy's under attack. Our way of life is is at risk. But I'm here with a solution today. Uh, You know what that's called. It's called the straw man argument, right? The straw man argument is this. Now, my opponent will tell you that the moon is made out of green cheese, but I'm here to tell you it's made out of Swiss. Will anyone bother to check and see whether the president's opponent made the statement that the moon is made out of green cheese? Probably not. Okay, they won't. A straw man argument kind of creates a crisis. Insinuates that there's a big problem unless me, me, your your hero, comes riding in with a cape on and a white horse and says, I'm here to fix the problem that didn't exist before I brought it up. So we have the president of the United States speaking dictatorially to the nation. I'm calling a special primetime address. Why? Because democracy is under attack. What? You pass a half trillion dollar freebie spending handout, isn't going to reduce inflation bill. That's not a threat to democracy. But we knew Donald Trump had certain files at Mar-a-Lago a month before we staged a raid. Oh, yeah, he's sweating now. Oh, boy, we got him on the ropes. ha, <laughs> ha, I'm surprised the FBI and the Justice Department had time to do the raid because I figured they would still be too busy raiding all of Jeffrey Epstein stuff. My bad. Joel, let's continue now. Cut number two, Joe Biden last Thursday night.
4: Now I want to be very clear, very clear up front. <clears throat> not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Hold on to that thought for a
0: second. Hold on to that thought. I want to be clear, not every Republican, not
4: even the majority, are MAGA Republicans. Joel, continue. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know, because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans. But there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. The majority of Republicans
0: are not MAGA, and therefore they're they're people I can work with, which means they're kind of limp-wristed, you know, (laughs) milk-toasty type of we don't have any values. Because Democrats don't negotiate with anyone in good faith. I would like to think Republicans did, probably not as much as I want them to. But for him to say, the majority of Republicans aren't like this, but MAGA dominates the party. Well, trust me, Joe. If the majority of Republicans felt this way, then there would be no problem telling the MAGA crowd that you are identifying as these extremists where to get off, where to leave. Bye. That's not where we're going. Not by a long shot. But once again, here we are two years after Donald Trump was voted out of office and Donald Trump still lives rent-free in the head of progressives. Because he's still a threat. It's Kerry Always and. uh Liar, liar. You're scared of the claw. The claw's going to get you. It's amazing. Curious, though, what you think of President Biden's assessment. 800-227-5278. Do you think that the MAGA crowd, as he's identified, are a threat to democracy? Must be silenced? Must be stopped? What was he intending as a means of stopping them? I'd love to get your thoughts on this. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, getting your assessment of the president's speech last Thursday night uh, as he commemorated basically, I don't Well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but remember when Hitler invaded Poland on September 1st, 1939, uh, that basically kind of got World War II into full swing. And why he chose, I mean... One pundit suggested all he needed was a little black mustache, and he could have very easily been Adolf you know, Hitler uh, with the kind of rhetoric that he was spewing. You know, there, there's an enemy, and the enemy's Donald Trump and anybody who supports Donald Trump. And that's why we need to act quickly to uh, not vote Republican in the midterms. I mean, seriously, Rovers versus Wade, good fundraising opportunity for Democrats. New York Times this morning saying, hey, they should be running on the way they handled the pandemic. That was a great boy. I'll tell you what, if I'm the Democrat Party, the last thing I want to do is hold up the pandemic response as as an example of how what a great job i do running the country. Because uh, um, quite frankly, you've even got members of the CDC saying, uh, yeah, we kind of didn't do that very well. But it doesn't matter how well they did or didn't, as long as we, the people, believe that they did. if you consider yourself to be in the MAGA crowd, the extreme side of the Republican Party, or just someone who supports Donald Trump, I don't think Donald Trump is a horrible guy. I don't think that, I mean, I honestly think that that the Republican Party could come up with a better candidate in 2024, but I'm prepared for the fact that they may not. So what is a Christian to do? What's an American to do? Well, do you get behind Joe Biden? and this kind of, you know, Democrats who were all this type of speech from last Thursday, 800-227-5278. Let's continue with some select highlights from Thursday's speech. Uh, Joel, now cut
4: number three, if you would. Look, I know politics, politics can be fierce and mean and nasty in America. I get it. I believe in the give and take of politics in disagreement and debate and dissent. We're a big complicated country But democracy endures only if we, the people, respect the guardrails of the republic. Only if we, the people, accept the results of free and fair elections. Only if we, the people, see politics not as total war, but mediation of our differences.
0: Okay, this would be my first question to President Biden based on the fact that only if, and someone thought they were really good about writing that kind of rhetoric. Only if, only if, only if, only if we accept the results of free and fair elections. I would ask President Biden, if we had him on the program right now, well, Mr. President, does that mean then that you accepted the free and fair result of the 2016 presidential election? that if you had any kind of legal capacity to do so, that you would have called off the Justice Department, you would have called off the Mueller investigation, you wouldn't have spent three years and millions of dollars chasing down fabricated claims against President Trump based on the Steele dossier that was basically acquired, it was made up out of thin air, and that you would have pursued charges against Hillary Clinton for having the same type of so-called classified information that President Trump allegedly had at Mar-a-Lago. When you talk about accepting the results of free and fair elections, would you then accept the results of commissions in Pennsylvania and Delaware, your own home state, where your own state legislature violated your own state constitution with a voting bill that will not go into effect until 2022, but now hopefully it won't go into effect at all because it's not been voted on by the will of the people. That's what a free and fair election looks like, Mr. President. Are you willing to accept those things? You you talk about Donald Trump being a liar. And whether you believe in Donald Trump or not, the fact that Joe Biden has been saying fair and square, free and fair ever since November 4th, 2020, is one of the biggest lies in the history of American politics. And yet you'll make that lie on national television. And then giving a Labor Day speech in, uh, in over the weekend, interviewed by USA Today, and asked him, he was in Philadelphia, he said, look, I'm not saying that every Republican is this way. It's Donald Trump and the mega-Republicans representing an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Nah. Donald Trump's the problem. Jeffrey Epstein isn't the problem. Bill Gates isn't the problem. Mark Zuckerberg isn't the problem. No, it's Donald Trump. And we got him where we want him because he just won't go away. Ah. Let's continue now from this glorious speech, uh, pun intended, uh, with cut number four. If you
4: will. Democracy cannot survive when one side believes there are only two outcomes to an election. Either they win or they were cheated.
0: Hang on. And that- time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. This guy is going to insinuate that the words of Richard Daley were never spoken in Chicago. Remember those, Mr. Senator, then Vice President, then President? Remember Richard Daley in the Chicago elections and how corrupt he knew they were? What was his word to the union representatives? Vote early and vote often on election day. Meaning vote more than once. But when one party won't accept the quote unquote free and fair elections, well, it's a threat to democracy. Please continue, Joel, with cut number four, if you would.
4: That's where the MAGA Republicans are today. (laughs) They don't understand what every uh, patriotic American knows. You can't love your country only when you win.
1: Hmm.
0: Wow. Will someone play these back to Democrats next time they lose a major election? Well, they probably won't lose a major election because I have a feeling that... uh, uh, we'll we'll see a few more shenanigans happening behind the scenes, a few more judges being bought off and less and less of the freer elections. But make sure you're registered to vote. <laughs> I highly recommend that you do. Uh, if you have any comments on what the president said last Thursday, if you're just sitting there in stunned disbelief like many of us were, uh, the phone lines are open at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Let Wilson Financial Services help you identify proprietary financial strategies for your wealth
1: that work for your life. Let's revisit our one-year CD. Had a client who had $500,000 of retained earnings in his corporation for the last three years. I said, if you'd have put that into this account three years ago, you'd have seventy-five dollars to $100,000 of interest versus what you have now, which is a nice round number. Had a client sell his house, had 450000 in the bank, I told him, is he really not likely to buy a house in the next 12 months? You want to leave this in the bank earning nothing? Or would you like to earn some interest on it over the next 12 months? So he said, How much? I said, Well, how about between 20 and 30,000? He says, Zero versus 20 or 30,000. Yeah, he says, I like the 20 or 30,000. Sounds better. Aren't you tired of earning nothing with all the money you have in the bank? Call 800 696
0: 9970. 800 696 9970. Or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the Bottom Line Show. We're listening to and reacting to uh, President Biden's speech from last Thursday, uh, the ominous sets, the Marines in the background, fully armed and ready to, you know, strike anybody who attacked. It was pretty that well, was crazy, making some rather outlandish statements. What say you? What do you think of the president's address and uh, his response? Uh, your response to what he would say with regard to the MAGA crowd, as it were? 800-227-5278. Michelle and Simi Valley. Welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Roger. Um, okay, so I didn't actually see it on Thursday because I was on a, I was taking a road trip. But we mm-hmm. did get to listen to you a few times, so that was kind of nice. But <laughs> oh, cool. I, so I've seen little bits and pieces of the uh, – yeah, and I, I heard about how awful it looked by, through Jay Sekulow. So I thought, oh, we've got to go watch that. So mm-hmm. um,
3: anyway, I I don't –
0: he's just an evil person, and I think that he doesn't really know what he's saying, though, But but he's not a nice guy. But he basically just described the Democratic Party – what he was talking about, and I wonder if he understands what MAGA stands for, because how can you how can you be against someone that's saying, make America
4: great again?
0: It's mm-hmm. like, hello,
4: yeah. it's a good thing.
0: Well, it, it is a good thing. I think in the right place, and, and Michelle, thanks for your call. I'm glad you got to hear us You know, when you were traveling. Uh, the idea behind the MAGA movement was make America great again, seeing that it had started to wander more into progressive mode, that communism, Marxism was becoming the order of the day. And what's very interesting to me about President Biden is this is a guy who said, I'm going to be a great unifier. And he has proven to be, as far as progressives are concerned, just that. But progressive ideology, which is always talking about how welcoming they are and how inclusive they are and how tolerant they are of other opinions, does not realize that everything is predicated on the simple yet undeniable fact that if you do not agree with progressives on every single point, then there is no unity. There is no welcoming. There is no inclusion. In other words, all of the values that they talk about, they really don't mean. They don't mean unity. They mean uniformity. I I, I can't get past the visual. I mean, seriously, when have you ever seen it? Can you imagine Donald Trump standing in Philadelphia, Philadelphia of all places, with a full Marine Guard behind him, armed and ready to shoot, with dark lighting behind and big, ominous red lights behind saying, Democrats are a threat to democracy. Our democracy hangs in the balance. We're on the precipice of losing America. That They've been trying that ever since Donald Trump got elected. Obviously, for anybody who said Barack Obama is a socialist and a communist, and this is the end of democracy, and eight years after his presidency, guess what? We're still here. George Bush is a globalist and we're still here. Bill Clinton is a we're still here. There is a force much stronger than either major political party in the United States keeping the United States together. Any idea as to what that might be? Yeah. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, through all sorts of horrible things that we as people have done to each other. The reality is God's hand of providence is still on this nation, as sinful as we are. Look at the Old Testament. People say God's hand of providence could never be on America. Look at the Old Testament and the way God handles his people. Does he discipline them? Absolutely. Does he cast them away for 40? Absolutely. But he never lets go of them. They are always his people. And what makes America a special nation, I believe, in this cultural divide that we're in, is there is a remnant here just as there is a remnant of the the church is living and thriving amidst all sorts of oppression in other parts of the world, in other countries of the world, in China and Afghanistan, Iran, Ukraine, even Russia. The question is not, where is God's hand? We know where it is. The question is, what do we as his children do about this? Brothers and sisters, I implore you to take a step back from your political party affiliation just for a moment. And ask the question, what are the policies God wants me to support? What are the principles? What are the values that I am placed here as a Christian to live out? When we make it less about party and more about policy, when we make it less about personality and more about principle. We begin to find out who the real church is and God's hand of providence is really where. And that's the bottom line.